Can I do a clap? Yeah, go on. I'll help. Ready? Yep. Three, two, one. You're super, super excited, aren't you? Action. Action. Okay, so we're live. Viraj, do you want to do the intro this week? Oh, so you're... we're doing intros now? No, I want to hear you do it. You want to hear me do it? Yeah, and so you do your intro and then I'll do my intro. Sounds like a good idea. Right, let's do this. Blossom Lounge. Yes. Episode three. Yes. Because we don't actually have a set and it's getting too cold outside to actually put a fire pit on. It's actually getting too expensive. Yeah. So, I have no idea what we're going to talk about today. Muslim's got some topics. I thought we, we even put a post on Instagram. So, um, maybe one of your topics will come up. Welcome back to Smoke Sessions, where we smoke and we talk and we just enjoy life a little bit. Slow down. Full of guests, full of people. Haven't actually got a guest on yet. Who's our first guest going to be? Winner of One Minute Smoke? I think Dave or M. Huncher will be the first guest. I like M. Huncher. M. Huncher yeah. sounds like a good idea. Without the mask. So no one will know if it's actually him or not. That would be hilarious. Ooh, that's actually a good idea. Is this actually an interview with M. Huncher? I like, I like the sound of that. I do like the sound of that. Can I do my intro now? Go on, please. Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Foreign Virgins podcast. Today, we have our first foreign virgin, Viraj. Viraj, how are you? What is this? You want to start your own podcast? Go do it. I didn't come. I did not come like an hour and a half away from driving in traffic through crashes and lane closures to get here for you to call this the Foreign Virgins podcast. I admit that would be an interesting podcast. That would be a very interesting If we got podcast. foreigners who were also virgins and asked them why they were virgins. Why does it just sound like something the Nelt Boys would do? I think that's something that someone should do, to be honest. Oh, right. Well, I would listen to that podcast. I guess, I guess the, next, uh, the next podcast that you're going to see popping up on One Minute Smoke is going to be the uh, Foreign Virgins podcast. I was a virgin once, were you? Yeah, I was as well. I think that's how it works. You don't I'm... just come out the womb, like, having sex. That's a fun... Let's talk about, let's talk about our first times. Right? Okay. Please, be my <laughs> guest. Go first. Yeah, well, I, took, I took a beating on the last one. Yeah. So, um, off camera, from everyone including my parents yeah. and friends. I don't know who else has watched it, but it's got a couple yeah. hits. So uh, you can go first this time. When I lost my virginity, I was 16 and I was really nervous about it. Like I was, sh I knew it was going to happen that day because it was pre-planned. How did you know? Because it was planned. But it was like, you, the Texas and everything was like, I'm coming to yours. We've got get the, get the kit, get everything. We're going to have the candles and the roses. There was all, not roses, but there was candles. Was there petals on the floor? Yeah. There was um Did you make it romantic? This is how old I am, right? We were play we listened to Drake Take Care because that was the album out at the time. I've never listened to Drake Take Care whilst having sex. Never. Nikki Heaton. Nikki Heaton is a whole different beast when having sex. I don't even know who Nikki Heaton is. Oh, you should try that. You should try that. I'll I'll send you the album. Ooh, maybe played. maybe we'll tag her. And then I played Vibes Cartel. Which was a bit that's inappropriate. A, that's a bit too upbeat. For 16. I don't know who I thought I was going to be in my first time. But yeah, I was really nervous. I was at sixth form the whole day. And I didn't learn a thing that day. Were you just bricking it the whole time? Oh, bricking it. And afterwards, went out for dinner. And I couldn't even touch my food because I felt weird. Well, how did it feel? The first time? Yeah. I mean, I can't remember how it felt, but I was really nervous. I was really nervous. I had no idea what I was doing. And yeah. Did you enjoy it at all? Yeah, but it was, I mean, you build up that, that in your head to your entire life, right? Oh, what's it going to be like? Yeah. I remember my first kiss. My first kiss was in year seven, right? 
I went to a party. I went to a, a birthday party, and we were playing Twenty One Days, and landed on this girl, and her dare was to kiss me. And then she leant over and she kissed me, and I was so nervous about my mum finding out that I kissed a girl. So as soon as I went home, I brushed my teeth so she couldn't smell it. I don't know what I was thinking. You were really hiding secrets, huh? I was 11 years old. I didn't know. I thought my mum would be able to detect from my mouth that I'd kissed someone. That's hilarious. That's so funny. The things that we think about when we're kids and we're like, actually now, it's like, why was I so stupid? I mean, even if she knew I did kiss someone. Oh, well. Oh, well. Like, that's kind of cute in a weird way. Must have got his first girlfriend. Imagine one day your son or your daughter comes home and goes, I had my first kiss today. You'd be like, oh. And you thought your mum was going to, like, what, beat you? Yeah. Yeah, I thought she was going to get the cricket bat. Yeah, the cricket bat that your dad bought. Yeah, for those of you who've come to my comedy shows, you know all about the cricket bat. The infamous cricket bat. But yeah, it's a nerve, it's, it was a, a very nerve-wracking experience. I think when I, especially from year seven to year 10, I was keeping count on the amount of girls I was kissing like it was like some sort of competition. I wanted I to get my numbers up. I didn't kiss a girl till year... 11 was the first time and it was just a peck on the lips were you anticipating it heavily no absolutely not it just wasn't happened. even on your mind i was completely sober everyone was at a drunk party and uh these this girl was going around kissing people that was just her thing that, that was, was her that she was drunk out of her head that was her party trick yeah kissing girls kissing, kissing boys guys, kissing guys just drunk out of her head in the middle of a field what's she doing now with her life you know i actually can't remember the girl i can't remember her name Oh, that's kind of a robbery. I can't, I can't remember, I can't, I can't remember who it was. I just know it was someone. My first kiss, I'm pretty sure it was her first kiss as well. And a couple of years ago, I gave her away on a roundabout. And we kind of gave, her, gave each other a knowing acknowledgement, like, that was, that was something that happened when we were 11. And you, know, you noticed each other from the car? Yeah, yeah. Because we went to school together. That's hilarious. Oh man, what a time. My first time having sex was at uni. I can know you're a late bloomer. Absolutely. I came to the game late. My whole life was just geared towards education, so I didn't have girlfriends, I didn't really partake in women. Um, yeah, so for me, uni was where everything just kind of opened up and exploded. Would you say it was something you were anticipating to happen? No, not really. I was drunk. Really? Yeah. So it wasn't special. I think your first time should be special. It wasn't special. It wasn't special at it all. It wasn't special. It seemed like I knew what I was doing, but in reality, I had no idea what I was doing. You know, in secondary school, right? If a girl had kissed a lot of guys, she was considered a slag. I don't get that. Which like, is so bizarre. It's weird. Oh, kids. I wonder if that's still the case. Probably. I actually asked my cousin, right? My little cousin. I was like, is it unheard of? for kids in secondary school these days to be sexually act active. And he said, no, anything is quite normal. To be sexually active in secondary yeah, school? Yeah, secondary school. And that kind it's of... It's too young. Yeah. It's too young. You have no idea what you're getting. No idea into. what you're doing. That's wrong, man. It's a waste of time. What are you going to do? You know what it is? It's social media. Just focus, on, focus on your education, kids, man. You know what's just, crazy? Just, just, just focus on making content. Focus on school. Focus on getting to the places you want to. Don't, don't worry about sex. It's not that big a deal. Everyone makes out like it's a big deal and you need to, you can't live without it. But in reality, you can. Trust me, I've done it. For a year and a half, I did it. Yeah? 
fine. It's actually, no fab is one of the greatest things ever. The mental clarity, I'm gonna go on, I'm going into a rabbit hole here. The mental clarity that you have with not having sex is the most incredible thing. You get a glimpse of it during uh, No Not November, whatever that is, right? Well, it's November, right? I know what your mentality is on this. Yeah, well, why have why have sex with your partner when someone else can have sex with them on your behalf, right? Oh, That's go. one chore you don't have to here worry about. Here we go. Well, I don't have a partner at this moment in time. I got in a um, I got in a cab on Sunday. Yeah, went out for dinner, and I was with, with some friends, and we walk into the walk into the Bolt, not the Uber, because that's a thing in London now. I didn't realize. Yeah, well, it's cheaper. It is surprisingly. And as we're getting in, my friend goes, "I've got a bone to pick with you." So you would let your wife, your partner, have sex with other people, and I'm just standing there, and there's like. There's maybe a couple people around. I'm just getting into the camp like, oh, here we go again. That's become like a thing people want to discuss with you now. It's quite funny, but you need more than just a cab journey to explain it. I think you will definitely change your view on that as soon as you get in a committed relationship. I told you, I'm open to changing my view. It's not the end of the world if I do. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Going back to being secondary school and these pressures, right? What I've kind of learned growing up is that when you're young, everyone's in a rush to grow up. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then when you get to a certain age, you just wish things can just start slowing down and you can go back. I wanted, from the age of like 15, 16, I just wanted to be 20 plus. Yeah. I just wanted to be 21. Because I thought that was a cool thing. Because I saw these 21-year-olds just rolling around in cars and things like that. But um, I think it's all just about mentality, to be perfectly yeah. honest. You can, you can be young at heart. I consider myself a kid. I walk into a room, I might look old. Yeah. I might look like I'm 28. I might hang around people that are older than me. But in reality, I am a child. I'm, yeah. I feel like I'm 18. Yeah. I've got the energy of an 18 year old, although I go to bed at nine o'clock. But you know, I can still, I still got that buzz. I still got that yeah. drive. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be complacent. Yeah. yeah, it comes, it goes. But at the end of the day, you just got to work on it yourself. You've, you've got to put your, yourself in places to be able to be like, actually, I am not like everyone. I'm gonna follow everyone else. I am going to be a kid. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be my own lane. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be as weird as I want. You don't have to follow that societal norm of being like, oh, I want to grow up. What's growing up? I don't think that ever goes away for some people. My dad is pushing seventy, and I asked him, when you look in the mirror, do you see a seventy-year-old? And he said, no, I still see a twenty-four-year-old. But my body can't do what my mind wants it to do. The body gives up. Yeah, but I think it's more so. I think men have a harder time with dealing with their mortality than women do. Why do you think that is? One, I think it's to do with egos. Yep. And masculinity. And wanting to relive your youth and your, how do you want to call it, your glory days, as yeah. people like to say. When in reality, every, listen, every age has its positives and its beautiful moments. When you're a kid, so when you're a teenager, you're focused on having the experiences a teenager has, and you're not gonna appreciate how beautiful those moments are until you move on. Your 20s, your uni days, whatever, are about that, being a teenager, making mistakes, doing wild things with your friends, making memories. And in the moment, most of the time, you're not appreciating how special those moments are until Absolutely. when you're 40. And then when you're in your 30s, 40s, you're building your family, and those moments are special. Have you ever looked through a family scrapbook, right? 
and everyone everyone always says the same thing oh we look so happy and it's like photos of you as a baby your mum and dad is a lot younger obviously yeah. and it was look how happy we were things were so much simpler then well in 20 years time you're going to be the same saying the same thing about these moments probably because every moment even the tough times they have beauty in them and sometimes right like I don't know if you get this, but you'll be driving along and then you'll hear a song that reminds you of a moment in your life and it just makes you smile. I get that, I, I get that with people. So there are certain songs that I associate to people and that changes sometimes. Really? But there are certain things like, there'll be, there'll be a song about this one person that I remember from when I was driving home after seeing them. And yeah. it's just stuck. Doesn't matter what, where I am in the world, I just remember that person. Yeah, with me, it's not really people, it's moments in time. So like I'll hear like a like Hotline Bling, for example, Drake, uh -huh. takes me straight back to first year. And I couldn't, first year at university, mate, I couldn't give a crap about anything. I bet you did damage in first year. I was an, a happy-go-lucky idiot. Even this song reminds me of last year. So right now, Pop Smoke, um, I forget the name of this, whatever this song is, but this song reminds me of Lockdown. <laughs> and hanging out house party, watching Tiger Kings, watching the MJ documentary. The first lockdown, people, a lot of people seem to remember the lockdown fondly, which I think is some sort of like, almost like some middle-class privilege. When people say, oh, I miss lockdown, that's middle-class privilege right there. Because for all people, it's not a memorable part of their lives. It's a very dark time. The first lockdown was, I just got to work on myself. I was just autopilot, just routine, routine, well, routine, day in, day You were in India, so. You were already in isolation. Oh, definitely. And it was bad. You know, I didn't, I didn't actually really go out. Like all of, I was in, the, in a square mile. That was about it. I saw the same. I saw, saw my dad and the cook and this lady that cooked for us. Incredible. Incredible food for six months. And that was about it. Yoga. Did a lot of yoga in the morning. Ridiculous yoga. Did a lot of meditation. Did a lot of journaling. Yeah. Would you change anything about your time in India? Absolutely. Really? My time in India made me the person I am today. I wouldn't be here yeah. doing this with you, right? Doing One Minute Smoke, doing my own podcast, doing how I've done YouTube, but basically my gap year. If I hadn't gone to India and yeah. been in a lockdown and all of that, like I, I would be a monk or I'd be a yogi. I wouldn't have come back. I would have just re-upped the visa and stayed there. If you hadn't gone to India, where do you think you'd be right now in your life? If I hadn't gone to India, um, probably still searching for a job. That you didn't want to do? That I didn't want to do. At least now you're doing a job that you're not particularly crazy about, but you're doing all these projects. You're funded. Yeah. Right? We've got to buy kit. Yeah. Things, things get expensive. Well, that's what I'm saying. You're doing all these projects that can lead to amazing things and you're enjoying them while you're doing them exactly that's and that's you know that's the fun of it you know if uh, my goal is to take the podcast full-time my podcast full-time and i want to do that within two years yeah two years i want to be able to do that i don't know what it's going to take but that's my goal i mean have you ever heard this? i think i've said it on this podcast before if you want to make god laugh tell him your plans yeah you don't know what opportunities who's going to come knocking or what's going to come knocking or what's going to happen it's like it's like the show the other day um on last week, what was it? Last week, Thursday, or the week before Thursday? The One Minute Smoke show two weeks ago. Episode, yeah. one, minute, one Minute Smoke episode two, yeah. not the podcast episode three. 
I had no idea we were going to be able to do that. I had no idea a hundred and something people were going to turn up. Yeah. And we were going to sell out a show and it was going to be phenomenal and we were going to get through all the problems that we have with it. You know, I forgot to format the SD card today. Right. So I don't, even, even now, we still go through problems. Yeah. But you run with it and you make, you make do and, you, and things happen and things break down and, you know, we had audio issues and, you know, th people were just in the way getting, getting involved with the camera and stuff like that. But you were able to put on something beautiful and see people laugh and then they, they tell you afterwards, you know what, you've actually got something here. There's something coming out of this. Yeah. If you're waiting for something to be perfect to just get started, you're never going to start. I think you have to start these things and then troubleshoot as you go along. Watch the first episode of the Joe Rogan podcast or any kind of major show that you like. I bet it's trash compared to what it is now. Probably. The hardest hurdle, the hardest obstacle you're ever going to face is just getting started, pressing play. I think, I think the Joe Rogan is a, is a great example because he actually didn't care. He didn't care at all. He had a, he had a relatively well-paying job with the UFC. Yep. But you look at like normal shows, their first episodes are planned to perfection. Most people's first episodes are planned to perfection. And sometimes they'll just cut out the crap yeah. once, uh, once they get big so that no one sees that. Yeah. I think there's, there's a, I have a lot of respect for people that keep up their problems and keep up their, their bad episodes, the episodes, and show that, show that journey yeah. through life and through, their, through them growing and whatever. Like for me, Ali Abdal is one of those guys that just yeah. keeps everything up. You know, you, I've seen him from 500,000 subscribers and over the course of a year, maybe a year and a bit, grow to 2 million. Mm. And that journey of just watching him grow and myself grow with it, I'm just like, well, he, that's part of my life. Yeah. And I really enjoy because you, you can look at it and be like, actually, I'm in the same position as him in that video. Yeah. By the way, is this still recording? It's still recording. We're probably going to have to cut this. Why? And then format the card and then take it out and then put it back in. Don't worry, I'll, I'll sort it out. I have no idea what you're saying, but yes. Musin is not technically gifted. No. Musin shows up like a celebrity and he, uh, he sits there. My mum says this. We had a barbecue on Sunday. Uh, Musin got out of a meeting at what, two, maybe 2.30? We had everything set up. 2.50 to be precise. 2.50 to be precise. Meeting had ended, you know, all the, uh, yeah, all the food was cooked and this guy just plonked himself on a chair. This man can make a shisha, right? This man can chop meat. He decided to sit on a chair and was like, Viraj, get me a beer. Sorry, get me a soft drink. I'm watching my carbs, Viraj. I need that Hollywood body. You're going to be a bona fide celebrity. I guarantee it. You're going to live that celebrity life. My thing is, I'm not a practical person, but I don't let anyone put me down for it. There's this weird masculinity thing in my family. Well, because I can't change a light bulb, I get insulted. But that's not my skill set. I'm good at a lot of other things. I'm good at my job. I'm good at comedy. Those are the things I lean into. Yep. I'm not a handyman. I accept that. It's not the way I think. It's not something that interests me. So why do I need to live up to that? For what? Do you see what I'm saying? I think you should just lean into your strengths. Forget. Yeah. Don't have to worry about the weaknesses. I think you be aware of your weaknesses. You understand that you can't, yes. you're not a handy guy. Like Ali's a very handy guy. Hands on, and totally. He enjoys doing those things. I genuinely, if someone said you had to cook, if someone, if I had to cook the barbecue, I, guess what, there wouldn't be a barbecue. Do you see what I'm saying? You just buy the meat, you wouldn't, you just buy everything pre-cooked. I'll just rock up. I'll just rock up, I'll sit there and I'll smile and I'll wave, I'll oversee. You do a good job at that, to be fair. You do, in situations like that, you do look at things and go, that's not right, that's not right, how can we fix it? So you have an input. It's not like you sit there and go, 
make it work. Steve Jobs didn't know how to build an iPhone, did he? Oh, no, that's why he got Steve Wozniak. Yeah, we put the people in place. I'm Steve Jobs. I'm Steve Jobs. I'm Walt Disney. Actually, you know what? Uh, we were we were upstairs in my house, and this is this is as we're putting the first episode of One Minute Smoke together. Wait, was and I, I here? Yeah, yeah, you were you were there. We, you, me, and Ali. Oh. And oh, we were, I think I was giving you the house tours the first time you came around. Right. And you were like, I feel like I'm. I, I, you just watched the Kevin Hart documentary. Yeah. You're like I feel like I'm Kevin Hart, and like you guys are, like we're building something here, like as we're growing. Yeah. My job, other than doing the actual comedy stuff for One Minute Smoke, is finding people and putting people in place who have skills. So I knew you and Ali are good at the production side of things and organizing and putting the show together. Yep. I'm obviously a comedian, which is quite an essential thing for a comedy <laughs> show. Facts. And I know how to recruit and put on a comedy show. Warren knows how to manage things, venues, events, tickets. tickets. So my role was just putting the people in place. Mm-hmm. I'm, I think I'm pretty good at that, making things happen. I agree. I don't really get stuck on the planning phase and then it never turns into fruition. And I'm not trying to like blow smoke up my own ass. <laughs> Minus the shisha. Pardon the pun. <laughs> I'm not trying to blow smoke up my own ass, but I think that's a skill set that people don't realize is a skill set, but it actually is. You need visionaries. Yeah. You need people that, that see something where no one else sees anything and goes, yeah, I need to build that. I just yeah. don't know how to do it. But ultimately, I couldn't put on a comedy show without you guys, because if I had to do all the filming stuff, do you think I can work that? I just, all I did to get that, so how we're recording the sound, the only role I had for putting the sound together for this show is putting, adding stuff to the basket <laughs> and shipping it to Viraj's house. Literally, literally. And even that I nearly messed up. Oh yeah, almost, Yeah, almost. I had to work out how to use Amazon first. You do know how to use Amazon now, right? I smashed it. But again, with one minute smoke, like our second episode, we had over a hundred people there, man. Like, Incredible. It's weird to see something start off with just like an idea and then all the planning and stress that goes into it and then it comes into fruition. I think it's awesome. I yeah, it's really a really awesome. good feeling. It's really nice. And when you get... I, okay, so the feedback's great, right? And I think for the night, the, those, those hours before it turns into the next day and we, we call each other again or we have our meeting with Warren and uh, Ali, our business partners, we, we revel in it. Like, we really enjoy the fact that people come along and, they're in, and are are humoured by it, have a great time, come up to us and go, this is fucking awesome. Yeah. But the next day we go, okay, on to the next one. Yeah. Job's not done. Job is not done. And we can't take for granted the fact that people are parting with their money, leaving their homes, leaving work early. Absolutely. To come see a show on a Thursday night. Some people travel. Yeah. What was it? One of, the, uh, one of the comedians had to park in Westfields, or one of the Westfields, and then got lost in London. Some of them come from outside of London. Really? Just to come to our show? Yep. Incredible. You can't take any of that for granted. And also on the comedians, because our show is quite an experimental idea. Mm. And it's nice that the comedians give it a chance and yeah. come up and do a minute and take a chance on the competition. And now we're gaining traction. Comedians ask about me all the time. That's like good. I'll, we have a, quite an extensive waiting list for people who want to be on the show. I think we need more women on the show. Comedian who are su- at a surprisingly high level as well. Not just open micers who would want to be on the show. 
That's great. And sky's the limit. We can turn it into whatever we want. Exactly. You want to get a HBO deal or a Netflix deal? Fine. You want to you keep it on YouTube and make it a YouTube exclusive? Fine. It's just a matter of building an audience of people that like this stuff and being able to put it on consistently. So a production team. And ultimately filming everything that it we need. Because you never know where good content's going to come out. That's, that's part of the problem is that you never know what's good and what's not. And having the space, like the physical memory cards to deal with something like that, yeah. that's where it becomes a problem because you invest your whole life into it. Because when you're filming everything, it's like you don't have anything but yeah. a life on camera. In the words of Viraj, right, radical transparency, we don't make a penny from one minute smoke right Not now. Yet. All the profit we make, and we do make a profit off the shows. Just go straight back into it. We put straight back into the show to buy better equipment. Because let's say we make 400 pound profit off a show. What's the point of taking that money out now and giving each other a hundred pounds each? There's no point. If people, no point. if like one of us needs the money, then it's different. But um, we just reinvest, 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 and we're working towards sponsors and we're working towards the, all of these other things. And you know, the fact that you are so ignorant to opportunities, yeah, in in a good way. And I mean, and we've talked about this before. Jesus Christ, gets us into places. Ultimately, ignorance is bliss right people say ignorance is a bad thing if i knew how hard it would be to try and put on a comedy show like one minute smoke i would have probably never got into it i would have been put off mm. if i knew how hard it was going to be to try and get onto a phd i would have probably never tried if i knew how hard it was going to be to be a comedian i would have probably never tried but for all of those things i just said oh let's just see what happens best thing to do ignorance is bliss man just start just and we are back this shisha actually slaps. Wicked shisha. It's good. Thank you, Blossom Lounge, for hosting us. We're sure little Adreed. Ali would not be impressed. He, he wants something a little more... Uh, Big up Blossom Lounge. A little more dynamic. Where were we? Ah, this is what I wanted to transition into. We were talking about topics today, and yeah. one of the things was, why does our generation feel like they always need a side hustle, or they need something to do outside of their nine to five? That's a great question to answer two reasons one life is expensive and young people have very expensive tastes so they always feel like they need more money and the second reason is social media kind of demands that from you because people always post their wins their successes on there and then naturally our competitive nature kicks in and we wonder why we aren't doing more and that kind of happens but I, at the same time, I don't think everyone thinks they need the side hustle. I think that's kind of the bubble we're in of people. You think everyone that we know just well, has a side hustle? Because we're in a bubble of, we know a lot of creative people. Yeah. And obviously the arts throughout history, how many poor artists are there out there? Some of them died broke. So well, it, now they don't have to die broke because of NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> but being a creative doesn't pay very well, right? Not out of the box, it doesn't. So if you want to be a creative, you want to be a musician, you want to be a singer, you want to be whatever, it's not necessarily the best paying job. Oh no, no it isn't. So people feel like they need more money. I mean they do. Sorry, I just got to turn the lights on. Oh yes. More lights. You need the main job to pay for all this equipment. Tell me about it. You need you need you need a job. You need a main job to help to buy someone to 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 rent something, someone.
to help manage all of this? Most people call it a side hustle, but in reality, if they could make that their main job, they absolutely would. I would. Without a question. Would you make comedy your main job? It should be stop be it should stop being called a side hustle and it should start being called what you actually want to do with your life. This is what I do. I don't call it a side hustle because it's not. I treat one minute smoke the same way I treat my actual job. No. I treat my podcast the same way I treat my actual job. It's weird, granted. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing with this, but I think, you know, it's a... I, th- I, just, I just think this is how you're supposed to run it. Yeah. And you just, like we said before, we troubleshoot. But I give it the same level of respect that I do my normal job. A lot of people are embarrassed by their side hustles. So they don't want their work lock not finding out about it. Because work gets funny about side hustles sometimes, especially if you're making content. Because we were having this conversation in the office today. Your opinion, especially if you've got a massive following, people think that that reflects the companies. And I've heard instances of where companies basically say, look, you can't mention us. Don't mention anything related to your nine to five. Don't mention anything related to that. Um, Like, Don't give the name. Don't talk about it. But I particularly like when companies get involved and say, actually, you know what? Be, a, uh, be an advocate for us. Yeah. Be an ambassador. Show the world that we're, we're doing great things. Especially like one of, our, one of our colleagues, one of our colleagues, one of our creative friends works for an accounting company and she does all about accounting stuff. And that's great, right? There are other people that, that own their own brands and they talk and, and they promote their brands because that's their main job. It just, it isn't a side hustle. They just talk about it on podcasts and make content about it. And I think that's great. Yeah. I know a lot of like, academics, for example, with big Twitter followings because they're concerned about what the university might think about what they post on their Twitter feed. Their bio always says, all opinions are my own and not necessarily the views of the university. Or people with big brand deals will get in trouble if they say something that might not necessarily align with the brand. But the brand doesn't own you. Agreed. Agreed the brand doesn't own you. I think you are working in partnership with the brand and those views have to reflect each other. Like, they work in tandem. If you if you have a brand that, or you're working with someone that doesn't fall on the same lines, well, yeah. that's all right. It happens. Look at Joe Rogan, for example. Like You love bringing up Joe Rogan. Well, because he's, he's a good case study on these things. Before he was tied to Spotify, he didn't really feel the need to correct himself as much as he does now. That might be one to do with Spotify, but that might also be to, to do with him realizing his social responsibility because of how influential he is. It must be weird getting back big and knowing you have this social responsibility where people hang on the things you say. People don't take the vaccine because of him. I, well, I've, me for one, I didn't want to take the vaccine initially. And so, then I realized I couldn't travel without it. And I was like, well, or potentially couldn't travel without it. I was like, well, I guess it's time. In research, right, if people wanted to investigate where people get most of their news from, there used to be three brackets, online, the news, or friends and family. Now, there are so many more options. And one of them could genuinely just be the Joe Rogan podcast. It could be its own tick box on a questionnaire. Because a lot of people, especially probably more so in the United States, their main source of news is the Joe Rogan podcast, that's, which is I, not a good thing, by the way. I think that's because, though, 
Rogan gives all that experience and gives you a depth yeah. that normal news doesn't. It's so candid yeah. that you could tell if a person is lying or a person yeah. is bullshitting. Take for instance the Game Changers pop, uh, the Game Changers episode that he did, right, where he got on the guy that was slating um, the, the the guy that produced the film uh, with the brain the brains behind that uh, that film and that that entity. It's a great podcast, and I had to listen to it to be like, is this actually real? Like, is is eating meat uh, not eating meat good for you? And it's one of the reasons I went partly vegan yeah. or moved towards being plant based. But also at the same time. That's all well and good, right? We live in a world where anyone could essentially become a major news outlet. A human being can become a major news outlet. I think about a talk show. Like those talk yeah. shows, are, uh, late night shows are basically news outlets now. Well, we need to train people to absorb that content. We don't necessarily need to censor that content and teach them how to take everything they hear with some pinch of salt. Yep. And how to differ from a good source and a bad source. Absolutely. And most people don't know how to do that. It's very easy. What I've noticed when people identify a lot with the person who's spreading the information, they're more likely to believe it regardless of its accuracy. So if you identify with, I don't know, let's take a Andrew Saltz, for example, who's a famous podcaster. Mm -hmm. If you like identify you, right? on a personal level with Andrew Saltz, Regardless of the accuracy of his statements, you are likely to believe just what he says, irrespective of the veracity of what he's saying. I like to double check. Like yeah. I'm just that type of person that needs. Fortunately, to a lot check. of people do not fact check. Fact checking. Fact checking. And this is where your PhD comes into play. Aha. Uh -huh. Yes. Your your main hustle. In theory. In, in theory. Do you think you'll you'll continue in academia? Genuinely. Would I consider myself a what? Would you continue in academia? Um, it depends on whether I get an opportunity that interests me. Will I be able to set myself new goals that excite me? If I can't set myself goals that genuinely excite me, if I can't work towards something that I think is worthwhile, I will quit because I'm not about to do something that makes me hate myself. If you had a job opportunity, something you enjoyed with, something that you knew you were going to enjoy with academia, and one minute smoke goes flipping viral and we're putting on shows every other week and the podcast has grown massively. Yeah. Which one are you picking? I would choose comedy. Hands down? Yeah. Why? Because that's something that excites me more. And I don't think there'd be many opportunities that come along that make me want to change my mind on that. So you pick comedy, not for the money, just for the personal experience? Yes, just because it's comedy. And I love it so much. I know for a fact that I'd be happily doing comedy when I'm 70. I don't know if I could say that about academia. Do you even like the academic space? Yeah, you do. I do. I do. Do, you, do you think consider yourself like a, uh, what is it, a black swan in it? Someone that's just out of the ordinary. Goes against the grain with academia. To or a certain typical extent. Academic I, think, I think when you picture an academic, I'm not the first person you think of. But at the same time, I feel like I get on quite well with a lot of other academics. Especially ones who have similar research interests in. Because we can talk on a level that I can't really talk with other people who aren't as deeply ingrained in the research I'm doing. What about comedy? 
Yeah, I love talking to other comedians. Are you that. friends with other comedians? Yeah, yeah. Like, you can... They can actually be friends, not just people yes. that you go to comedy shows with. Yes. You can. Yeah, 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 100%. 100%. I've made lots of good friends in comedy. That's one of the... What I like about stand-up comedy, it's not just about going on stage and doing stand-up. It's the whole experience of being in a green room with like-minded people the lead up to a show, the show, the, the bit after where you're hanging around with your friends and the comedians and you're talking nonsense. Everything about the experience I really enjoy. Comedy's a great way to go on dates, to, to, to just let loose a little bit and just put yourself in scenarios or watch people and watch people's experiences in just different places. Like we went to Filio's one, right? That's yeah. my time, which is this experimental show. And I like absorbing different people's kind of lives. Yeah. That's what comedy is. It's just experiences, right? I think it's great. I think it's genuinely awesome. There's such, like comedy is, is so important for mankind. You know what comedy is? Comedy is everyone's first thought. Explain. Comedy is your immediate reaction to a thing that's happened to you or something that's happened in the news that you wouldn't probably otherwise say once you've thought it through a little bit more and come up with a more responsible perspective on it. It's the crazy initial reaction turned into an organized set. That's what stand-up comedy is. It's everyone's first thought where most responsible people kind of move away from and then develop a nicer, more sanitized way of putting it to the world. I do that. I do yeah. that. Put it, putting it to the world. I don't... I've moved to more of just telling it raw now, yeah. but I, before I 100% used to do that. Yeah. Used to be, you create a whole new narrative for what just happened to you. When in reality, the first thing that happened wasn't exactly a big deal, it was actually hilarious. A lot of comedians use stand up to deal with tragedy in their lives. I spoke about this on this podcast before. So a comedian will come up and they'll talk about something like a breakup. And the way they'll talk about it is like it happened yesterday because it was written the day after <laughs> and then it's continued and it's turned into stand-up it's the rawness of people's human emotions and a lot of the time it's very honest it does so a, a comedy like show where one person is doing an hour set is that just a collection of stand-up yeah with an arc most of the time most of the time when people are doing an hour not every comedian but there's some sort of arc that kind of puts everything together if you listen very carefully and you listen back again. It's like listening to an album. You're not going to fully get it after the first listen. Mm -hmm. If you want to really, truly understand a good comedian's hour, you have to listen to it over and over again to understand how they piece it together. What's the overall narrative? What's the message they're trying to send? How are they portraying themselves? It is an art. It is yeah, it's definitely an art form, and it's extremely difficult. And comedy is one of the most honest art forms, I would say, because our people are just giving you their real perspective on things. What do you hate about comedy? I, th I think that comedians hate when someone comes up to you afterwards and goes, is that real? Like, did that really happen? Yeah, I've said that. I've said that. That's one issue. One of the problems I've had with comedy is when, and I know it comes from a good place, but an audience member will come to you after a show, and because they've heard you speaking about your whole life for an hour, they'll talk to you they're like they know everything about you, Whereas you can't reciprocate the same energy because you know nothing about them. So it kind of turns into a kind of weird conversation. But I'd say another thing that frustrates me about comedy 
is sometimes obviously really good comedians who are extremely talented, but they don't know how to push themselves to a wider audience. And they don't push themselves to a wider audience. What do you mean by that? So they're extremely talented, uh-huh. but they don't have the audience they should have in relation to their skill because they haven't promoted themselves. And that's something I find very frustrating. I don't like it when I see a comedian and the world's best kept secret. As a, as a comedian, you find that frustrating or as an audience member, you find that frustrating? As both. As both. It's like, how do not more people know about you? And a lot of the time, it's down to the comedian not making the right moves at the right time. Uh-huh. I think if you're good, that's something you could most definitely work on sharing with people. Why do you think they don't? Is it because of social media they don't know how to do it? Or so, yeah, some people don't have the savviness to put it together. One thing I would say about me, I'm, probably, I'm, not the most, I'm not the best comedian on the planet, but I've done a good job so far as putting myself into good positions because I have an inclination towards marketing myself, which works very well. When did that start? I've always been the type of person who's looked for opportunities to further myself uh-huh. and punching above my weight. I think in life it's very important to try and punch above your weight consistently. Trying to always, all right, what's the next move? How can I put myself in uncomfortable situations that will lead to growth? That's so important if you want to improve your standing in life. Completely, yeah. completely. Like, I'm rebranding my own podcast at the moment, right? And we've stopped and it'll probably be about two months of, of planning and, and whatever, right? To get it to get it to where I want to get it to. Changing the name, changing the, the colors, changing all of that. But also the type of guests. I am scared shitless. Yeah of the fact that I'm gonna be doing a podcast in person with someone and it's just me. Because I know how intense I can be and like I don't blink and I just like look into your soul and I get to a really deep level. And I'm I'm afraid that I'm not gonna perform at that level. Like I'm not gonna be me, it's gonna become someone else. And I'm gonna have to train that person to be me. It's like two entities. And I can see that when I'm watching my old footage, I'm like, this isn't you Viraj, this is a bit of you. You're getting there. But you've got to do better. You've got to put yourself in that weird position to, to grow, to grow into that, and then excel in that, and then find, like you said, that next opportunity. You need to be uncomfortable in life. Comfort is what kills people. Why do you think people always look forward towards their retirement, and when they get to their retirement, because they have no growth left, they stagnate. We're not meant to do nothing. No. We're meant to be doing things. You need to be pushing yourself. Ah, What's your getting that. out plan? Once you get out of the rat race, what are you going to do to keep yourself ticking over and developing? Does the rat race ever end? Does it really ever end? Because the rat race now, you see it every single day on social media. You see it every single day in every other person posting and da-da-da-da-da. And we do it as well. Like We're we're not exempt from it. I think the closest I got was India, where I didn't have any friends there, or I had minimal friends there. I didn't talk to anyone my own age. I... I was away from everything. I shut down social media in terms of like, I didn't go through it every single day like I do now, like I did before I got there. And it was a curated experience of what I wanted rather than what was good for me. Now it's what's good for me. Now it's, okay, so if I follow this person, what am I gonna learn? Uh, What am I gonna learn from them and how can that better me? I'm always looking for opportunities whether it's with influences of, of people I meet online or friends or whatever, right? There's, there's things I see and I go, yeah, we can make something there. It's like we, went, we had a writing session the other day and I tagged along. I was like watching you two, uh, watching you and uh, Fahan, our first one-minute smoke winner, just talk and chat and, do, and, and bounce jokes off each other. And I'm like, that is freaking incredible. Let's turn that into a series. 
one of the reasons we're doing this right now is because we know we're going to die one day. And I don't want to be normal when I'm dead. Exactly. I want to be... I know I've, legacy was this thing that I, I was against. Now I'm just like, let's create something. Let's create something that lives beyond me. Why do you think people name themselves... Sorry. Why do you think people name their children after themselves? As human beings, on a psychological level, on a philosophical level, we are constantly considering our own mortality and whether our legacy and our stories and our personal significance will live on after us. We want our stories to be told. That's why when you go past a, a graveyard and you see a tombstone that's wilted away and you can't even see the name on it anymore, it makes you feel uncomfortable because you're wondering if that person's story has lived on. Because deep down, you don't want to be someone who's forgotten. And that's why we're doing this right now. We're documenting and we're trying to create something that people can remember about us. I like that. That was deep. I'll go, and I'll, I'll go a step further. Are you scared of dying? Yeah, of course I am. I'm not. Not anymore. I'm not scared of dying anymore. I'm, I'm past that. I think when it happens, it happens. And if it does, it does. But in, when I was on my time away on my, my little yogi retreat, whatever, gap year, whatever you want to call it, um, there's this place in India called Varanasi. It's called the land of the living dead. Because people go there to die. And it's one of the few places in India that has live cremations constantly happening, like 24-7, 365. The flame never goes out. That's, a, that's the kind of, uh, that, that, that's, the, that's the story behind this place. A fire was lit and it was, there's a, there's a bigger, bigger story behind it, but basically a fire was lit many eons ago and it's never stopped. There's always a fire and the fire is just people burning. And I've, I sat there and I, I watched people burn and I watched them cremate. I watched the families cry. I watched them cry bringing them there. I watched them cry while they were there. And I watched them like at peace afterwards. And I just thought, I've seen what happens to the body now. Because my, 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 my biggest fear was that what happens afterwards? You don't know, you don't, it doesn't matter. You, you move on to the next, next realm, whatever that might be, whatever you believe in. But you just got to do what you can in the time that you have with the mind and the body and you keep it to peak performance and you enjoy it while you're going along that journey. Don't do something you don't enjoy. Do it if there's gonna be, a, there's gonna be something that you can enjoy, enjoy afterwards, but life is not a journey, life is just a dance. There's no ending, there's no end goal. Well, right? the fact that that fire never goes out represents how circular life is. Exactly, exactly. We don't know. We don't know what happens beyond beyond death. No one does. Too many people live their lives like there's a restart button and that they can make up for it next it's, time. It's not a game. It's not. Put it this way, you keep making decisions because your family wants you to make those decisions you don't want to do. Eventually, those older family members who force you into those decisions are going to die because that's life and you're going to be left with the choices that you were forced to make. Exactly. And only you're going to be responsible for them. So are you going to make choices that fundamentally make you happy in the immediate moment and in the long term? Or are you going to continue to please people and never live a life of fulfillment and happiness? It's as simple as that. And the answer is simple. You do the latter. You don't do the former. It's hard. It's difficult. It's a pain in the ass, right? You're going to get people hating on you as you go along the way. You're going to get people criticizing you and everything, right? Take, for instance, um, last episode when I was talking about myself and my, my thoughts and feelings about relationships. People criticise me. I'm like, okay, fine. 
It's my thinking. You're welcome to change it. You're welcome to have the conversation. Right? I'm not stubborn about it. If it changes, it changes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But I'm not going to let someone else tell me I have to live a certain way, I have to think a certain way. And ultimately, we might fail. Absolutely. And that's good. But at least we tried. At least we tried. You can live with that. When you're on your deathbed one day, you can live with that. What you won't be able to live with is a life without trying. You've got to try. You just have to. You have to put yourself in a position where you're going to fail. And if you succeed, keep climbing the ladder. Just keep on climbing. Put one foot in front of the other and just keep going. And that's it. Do it for you. Don't do it for your friends. Maybe start doing it for your friends because you think that's a cool thing. But once you've got that internal engine and it keeps ticking over and you're your own gasoline and you're your own combustion, you're unstoppable. You just got to find the right people around you, create that friendship group in those circles, right? Of people that you can leverage on, you can lean on, and just press the fucking nitrous button and just go for it. Guns blazing. And ultimately, the journey is much more satisfying than the end result. The journey of becoming a successful comedian will be much more pleasing one day to look back on than the end result. For sure. For sure. I can't imagine that Kevin Hart stood up one day and was like, I want to be the greatest comedian in the world. He thought, yeah, it's a shot, maybe. Fuck it, I'm a funny guy, let's do it. Jerry Seinfeld, how long was this show on? Ten years. Ten years. Do you think he was going to be literally one of the best, the world's most talked about talk show hosts? Do you think he had an idea? No. Do you, we don't know where One Minute Smoke's going to go. We don't know where we're going to be in 20 years' time. All I can say is that I'm enjoying this moment right now, and I'm going to keep doing it. Absolutely. Because there's an upside. And when there's not an upside, we'll sit down, we'll have a podcast about it, we'll talk about it, and we'll probably release that. But this is the upside. What we're doing right now, trying is the upside. Millions in the bank, people you don't know applauding you. That's not the upside. The upside is enjoying the process. People are constantly concerned about what's going to come next. When Tyson Fury won the belts, that's when his depression really kicked in. Because his entire life was orientated to becoming an undisputed world champion. And when he reached it, he felt like he had nothing left. Yep. That was his life's goal. And then he had to consider what was next. When in reality, the journey of becoming that champion is far more rewarding than holding those belts into the sky. So when you, what is, what's the goal that you've got? Is there a goal in mind? I think goal setting is good for your life. What is the goal? My goal is to make the most of every single opportunity that comes up and to do my best at those opportunities and to constantly look for the next one and reset. Again, I've already said this, but if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. If you want God to give you a nod of approval, just walk through the door when it opens. Too many people get in their own way. An opportunity comes up and it's like, I'm not ready. Why aren't you ready? Who told you that? No one told you that. The internal narrative in your head told you that. And the imposter syndrome and everything that comes with that. Imposter syndrome, it's such a weird thing. We get in our own way. Our brain gets in front of us even though it's supposed to protect us. And it's supposed, to, it's supposed to be the thing that actually creates things. And it's the thing that gets in the way. It's like, what the hell? If you're worried about imposter syndrome and you feel like you're in a situation where you don't know what you're doing, the good news is no one around you knows what they're doing either. 
if you want to get over imposter syndrome, find the most successful person you know and ask them if they feel like they're an imposter. And chances are, at one point in their life, they probably felt like an imposter too. Yeah. So if they can feel like that, you can too. It's completely normal. It's a side effect of doing well. Do you get imposter syndrome? All the time. All the time. But now I've put myself in the mindset where I can harness that, acknowledge how I'm feeling about the situation and realise this is just a side effect of doing well at something. So you, you, you entertain the idea for a little bit, revel in it. Not revel in it, but like, like wade in it and then you just snap. Most of the time when people are feeling imposter syndrome it's because they put themselves in an uncomfortable situation. If you weren't feeling a bit like an imposter, that's probably a side effect of not pushing yourself which is a lot worse in the long term. That was deep. I thought this was supposed to be a fun podcast. <laughs> I hate everyone. <laughs> What's the, um, you know, we talked about reaching the, reaching the mountain, reaching the mountain top. If you've got millions in the bank, I, not millions, maybe you've got, money isn't an object anymore. What's the first thing you're buying? Listen. Really, the Mount Everest in comedy is doing a massive arena or stadium, yeah? Let's just say that's the Mount Everest or comedy. The first thing I will do if I ever reach that goal is I will go back to the first comedy club I ever did stand up and do five minutes. I won't ask for special treatment. I'll queue up like everyone else and I'll just do it. I like that. But what are you purchasing with your first minute? <laughs> that's what you want to know. That's all I want to know, Mr. What if I made millions? That's a great little speech there. Thank great, you very much. great little speech. You can say it when you uh, when you do that comedy show, and I'll be there in, in the audience. I'll be videoing it for you. The first thing I would buy if I was a millionaire, I would make sure everyone around me doesn't have to worry financially anymore. It's the first thing I would do. That'll be far more satisfying than buying a, a car or a boat. The car and the boat will get old very quickly. Everyone has that. That's why people who have supercars, they buy a new one every year or every six months. There's no end to the amount of material things you can buy. There's always going to be someone richer, unless you're Jeff Bezos. What you can't buy is the smart... Well, you can buy, in a way. <laughs> Go to a comedy show, you can buy the smile. There's nothing more satisfying to me than knowing that everyone around me is financially free enough to do the things that they want to do without worrying. And when you say everyone around you, you mean your family, right? Immediate family. Family and the close friends who helped me along the way. I think for me, I, I like that option of, of making everyone around me financially free, but... I, I like memories. And I think that one of the first things that I do is just buy everyone a little individual token gift. Not, not everything massive, just something small that you can cherish and be like, I was part of that. Like individually, yeah. I, I love that. I love getting people presents that are individually tailored to them. Like for one minute smoke, I've never, I haven't told you guys yet, but um, the moment we put on our first show, when I was in the Uber on the way home, falling asleep after the, after the drinks we had afterwards, all I could think about was, I can't wait to get us like the equivalent of dog tags. 
problem with these sentimental gifts. You'll buy all your friends when you're a millionaire, these sentimental gifts, and there'll be one friend saying, big man, where's my house? No, I don't no, need the king. I'm, I'm not buying your <laughs> house. Big man, I don't need the keychain. I've got a mortgage. So if you want to handle that, we can talk. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not buying your house. I didn't drive 80 miles to your house <laughs> to film a bloody podcast for free to get a keychain, Viraj. That mortgage needs to be paid. So if you don't mind, we'll sort that first. Sell all those bitcoins of yours. Viraj, if you don't know, Viraj has 72 bitcoins. Hack his wallet. Now, don't do that. You don't want to end up in a Steve Will Do It situation. God forbid. Wow, imagine. How long has this second half been? This has been, total, yeah. one hour and two minutes. Right, can we wrap this up? Because I really need the loop. Yeah, sure. Okay. Do you want to roll the outro? Yes. All right, here's what I need you guys to do. One Minute Smoke is going to be back in October. If you missed out last time, shame on you because you missed a bloody good show. Come to this one, bring 42 of your closest friends and tell them to bring another 42 of their closest friends because it's going to be lit. It might even change your life. Some of you might cry for the wrong reasons and some of you might cry for the right reasons. As long as you're feeling something, I don't give a shit. So come along. £10 a ticket if you're an early bird. £15 if you waste someone's time, including mine. So buy your tickets, enjoy life and give your mum and dad a kiss on the cheek if you like them. If you don't like them, slide tackle them on the pitch in front of Boris Johnson and Priti Patel. Safe. You done with the shrill? Perfect. Can I do one? Yeah, cool. Love it. Right, I need the move.